How is artificial intelligence impacting campaigns and elections? I'm Kara ong Whaley. Joining us to answer that question on this episode of Politics is Everything are two experts, Anthony Soa and Jeff Berkowitz. Jeff Berkowitz is the founder and CEO of Washington's preeminent competitive intelligence and risk advisory firm, Delve. He previously served as the research director of the Republican National Committee and also served on staff or advised five major presidential campaigns and has shepherded research and messaging operations at the White House, the U.S. State Department, and several prominent private sector and nonprofit organizations. We also have joining us Anthony Soa, who is vice president and chief technology officer at the Hawthorne Group. He's been there for 12 years, and it's a firm that specializes in strategic communications, issue advocacy, and crisis management. Thank you both so much for joining us on Politics is Everything. Glad to be here. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So I wonder if uh, you both uh, could start by giving us a sense of what uh, artificial intelligence can and cannot do for political campaigns, because I think there's a lot of uh, misperceptions in the public at this moment about what AI is and isn't? Uh, I'll, I'll start. I think that one of the major uh, benefits of generative AI when it comes to campaigns will be the potential for generating more personalized content at a granular level. Um, right now, I don't think we're at the computing power to deliver personalized content to each citizen. But in theory, I think the potential is there to be able to craft arguments, uh, develop content and deliver content that kind of speaks to each person's individual motivations and being able to kind of sway them to whatever campaign's different side of the argument. So micro-targeting on steroids. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a, you know, there's great potential for doing things at speed and scale that you otherwise couldn't um, with this technology. But I think it, you really have to kind of step back and, and you know, sort of ask, what, are, what do we mean when we say artificial intelligence, right? You know, this isn't, it's not, the machine is not alive. There isn't real sentience. You know, this is pattern recognition it's at speed and scale um, that starts to look like it's intelligence because it's moving almost as fast in that as we are, or if not faster. Um, but I think mo you know, what you're going to see is you're, you'll see some experimentation with some of this generative AI uh, in this campaign, but it's very much in its infancy. Uh, you know, I, I was looking at a tool yesterday um, that will let you basically do everything in a campaign with, you know, with chat GPT. And it's, you know, I obviously has the prompts in the background, but generate a press release, generate a fundraising email. Do I, you know, my, my fear was do opposition research, but, you know, um, you know, it was a pretty decent fundraising email. Most fundraising emails are total crap. So it's pretty easy to do the opposition research. Um, it pulled what was available on, on, uh, from the person's Twitter, um, account. Uh, what was really interesting is if you put in, uh, a Twitter account that was private, it just made up quotes and tweets. They even had the links. They didn't work, but they they look just like a Twitter link. So um, you know, there's a, I think what we're going to see over the next say, you know two years is a lot of experimentation, um, and and it's going to be interesting to see where some of that goes as as some of this technology moves beyond infants. Just a follow up question on that with making up quotes. I mean, is what are the implications of 
pulling or, or, you know, created quotes from individuals and how might that impact political campaigns or, or what voters perceive about politicians? Well, I think you've had a growing challenge for a while now where um, it's getting, you know, when I first got involved in, in campaign politics and started to see the rise of fact checkers in 2004, 2006, fact checkers were the referees. And unfortunately, now they've become um, participants in many ways in the political debate. Their way, they've moved well beyond, you know, in the, the last two decades, well beyond this is a fact, this is not a fact into opinions, you know, po does this policy really have this impact? Does this do that? And it's undermined their ability to really call balls and strikes as, as, a, as an umpire. Um, so it's hard to find trusted sources in, in politics today. I don't think AI changes that. Um, yeah, that's already, it's already true. It used to be that we all had uh, you know, a shared set of facts and information that we were debating about. And now everyone comes to the debate with their own set of facts and sort of talks past each other at their own sort of predetermined audiences. So AI is going to allow that to continue, and it and it may make it easier for more, more folks to do it at scale. But um, the underlying issue is is the nature of and polarization of our politics today. So we already have seen the Republican National Committee put out an AI generated uh, ad. They labeled it as such, <laughs> um, uh, but. Where else are we seeing technology being used already in campaigns and elections? Well, uh, as far as usage, I think it's so new. Uh, ChatGPT came onto the scene in November. And I think that with the campaign just started to ramp up, we haven't seen many kind of novel uses or any effective uses of, from a campaign level. There's people that do it. I think the most interesting usage so far has been uh, the day of President Trump turned himself in, these kind of viral photos that went around the internet of him resisting arrest and things like that, that kind of shows some of the potential for misinformation because they actually look pretty realistic. Um, but on the campaign level, I haven't seen much outside of what's been done in the past as far as uh, Facebook marketing, targeting and analytics and things like that. But from the generative side, I think we're right at the beginning of the usage. Yeah, I man, as Anthony sort of alluded to at the you know, earlier con part of the conversation, you know, I think a lot of this is going to be behind the scenes. You know, uh, a lot of the, these AI technologies are just advancements of machine learning and natural language processing that we've been seeing leveraged by campaigns, you know, to improve their analytics and targeting. And we're going to see more, more and more of that, especially as it gets harder and harder to find voters. Um, I think one of the most interesting things I'll be watching um, is how do pollsters uh, start to leverage this? You know, can um, can Chat GPT and similar technologies be trained on you know what what people think, and then based on that, you know, sort of give you essentially polling data uh, on how they respond to different messages, how they respond to to different candidates and essentially test and focus group things without actually having to convene people or reach them on phone or, or online and, and figure out the quality and weighting of, of different things. So I think that's going to be, it's going to be interesting to watch um, how some of that might develop. 
Yeah, my sense is, is that there are already some firms that are using predictive analytics, I think, as it's called um, predictive polling, you know, to to augment <laughs> um, uh, panel survey data, not only get a sense of where people are, but also how to move them into action on issues. And so, you know, it seems like there are both promises and perils um, uh, for for that field, depending on how people move or, or if we're moving people towards positive action and positive change or towards um, something that could have more negative impacts. So recently, the American Association of Political Consultants released a statement updating its ethics code, and it concluded that AI, as it narrowly defines it, has no place in, legit in legitimate ethical campaigns. Um, what is your sense on the AAPC, given that we'd probably be more survey research that uses AI? Um, you know, is there room for for the ethical use of of AI, and and what might ethics look like for for those who do political consulting or or surveys? I, I saw the statement, and I I think they may regret um, you know the broad strokes that they they took in it. You know, they were really just trying to reinforce what was already in the the code of ethics that you shouldn't you know campaigns and uh, those affiliated uh, or supporting them shouldn't uh, you know do anything that would mislead um, or uh, you know provide disinformation and and certainly like any other tool in a campaign um, AI shouldn't be used to to do that and the, and the ethics code is actually specific about candidates and their families. Um, you know, so, which is interesting because there, there's some broader folks left, uh, left out of that equation. Um, but I believe that mo the vast majority of uses in a campaign for generative AI is going to be, um, very positive. You know, campaigns can be very expensive. And one of the biggest concerns over time has been how expensive they've gotten and how, and how difficult it is for a candidate who cannot, who doesn't have access to those sorts of resources um, to compete. And, you know, generative AI can be a huge uh, advantage for folks to, at low cost, operate campaigns without, you know, very expensive consultants, without very expensive, um, you know, tools and technologies. You know, this is really democratizing in many ways, um, the ability to reach people, target folks, generate content, um, you know, at, at speed, which, you know, look, campaigns come down to three sets of resources, time, money, and people. And you can, and you know, the joke is you can always get, you know, more people and more, uh, money. You can't get more time and generative AI helps you use the time you have much more efficiently and faster, uh, just like other sets of tools, um, that have come about in, in um, campaigns over the years. So I think it will be a welcome, mostly welcome addition um, to the campaign trail. Um, you're all, the reality is we've already been seeing concerns about deep fakes or misinformation online for a number of years. Um, does this, is this a new way, new, easier way for folks to do that? Yes, but it doesn't change the fact that it's already happening. And um, I think there's many, many responsible and ethical ways um, for campaigns to leverage the technology. Yeah, I think that it's understandable uh, that organizations and people are kind of fearful about the technology now because not a lot is known about at a ground level of how it works and kind of what it encompasses. And also, I mean, I think over the past 
60 years or so, popular culture has told us that AI is evil. Like back from Lost in Space, the robot, Terminator, you know, there's so many examples that tell us that we should be fearful of this technology. But I think that when people kind of become more educated on what it can do and how it can be applied and what, what level of expertise it takes to apply it, um, then people will become more accepting and, you know, the kind of knee-jerk reactions will, will become more limited. I mean, we do need to take a look at it and there are some imperfections with the technology, but I don't think it's as dire as kind of it's being presented in some, some areas right now. Do either of you have a sense of how members of the public could actually spot AI? So if there is a deep fake, if there is an AI generated ad that is not labeled as such, what is what tools, what ways can an individual member of the public spot and know, oh, that's AI, that's not a that, you know, that that's a deep fake um, and and therefore be able to. Um, be more discerning in terms of the content that they're receiving? Well, I, I think right now for the untrained eye, it's probably more difficult, but the computing power isn't at the level right now, especially with video. I, I don't think that their video AI is still kind of in the video game realm of graphics and resolution. So, I mean, in quick spurts, it can fool probably a good portion of people, but like, I think that companies are working on AI detectors uh, the same way that there's companies working on chat GPT detectors, but it's kind of going to be an arms race where there's a detector that can detect this. And then, you know, the, the, the bad actors or the, the AI companies can outpace that. So, I mean, I think that as we become more educated and just look at things more critically, we can kind of spot these these deep fakes or misinformation that's going to be proliferating. Many people saw a few few weeks ago the the uh, the, the image of the po images of the Pope in the big puppy designer coat. I think it was from from uh, you know Prada or one of those you know fancy design houses. And you know when I first saw it, I was like, what? Wouldn't have expected that. Thought he was in a wheelchair. That's kind of weird. Doesn't it sort of scroll, you know, scrolled on. And then, of course, the next day I read this was actually, you know, this was a, uh, an AI generated image and it wasn't real. And I was like, okay, that made sense. So I think folks are going to have to, you know, that spidey sense that we all have about what's true and what isn't, um, you know, and, and people are going to believe what they want to believe. But um, smart consumers of information, like everything else, like the text messages that we're getting now, you know, from, for random people saying, you know, hi, is this, you know, is this Anthony's number? I'm trying to reach him. You know, it's like, that's probably not a real person trying to, to reach you. It's, you know, it's a scam. You know, I think folks are going to have to use that same sort of, uh, discernment, uh, in the course of campaigns. And, um, I know a lot of the social media platforms are, are starting to think about this. Um, you know, TikTok seems to kind of be at the forefront they've updated their, their, um, their creator term, you know, terms of service to, to indicate that, um, you know, using, uh, AI generative AI for, um, you know, for misinformation, disinformation, um, about even about public figures in a way that's, that's trying to manipulate a political debate is restricted. 
and they're going to have to have that arms race that Anthony uh, was talking about to chase after that. And the other platforms are are going to have to to you know make similar decisions about how to police content, just like they have been um, on misinformation and disinformation over the the course of the past um, you know multiple campaign cycles. Are you worried? Are either of you worried about a desensitization if? you know, we start seeing more content that sort of amplifies, you know, campaigns and elections are already pretty negative, right? Um, and we know from surveys that the public perceives campaigns and elections as being very negative. There's actually a positive element to that. We know from political science research that um, negative campaigning can be more informative um, to to the electorate. But do either do either of you have a are either of you concerned that we will become desensitized um, by sort of the growing by the amplification of polarization and negative negativity? I mean, we're so past that point already. I mean, the the polarization in American poli- you know, American politics. Uh, you know, look, we, you know, we wrote about this after, after the last election, you, you, you now have, um, 48 states that, that have, um, you know, that have one party control of the legislature, 40, you know, 39 or 40 states, depending on how you count have trifecta control of, you know, both the legislative and, and, uh, executive branch under one party, you have. 27 or 28 states that have super majorities in their legislature like we're a you know the trends of people moving and coming you know coming apart um to move into jurisdictions that share their their political viewpoints and values is you know is the story of the last 20 or 20 years um so i don't i think we're already we're all we're already there um and i think a lot of folks tune out political messaging that um the that they don't that doesn't you know, share their viewpoint and they, or that they find distasteful and um, there isn't persuasion and conversations happening, right? We've gone from, you know, the Bud Light commercial maybe a decade ago of everyone just sitting down and having a beer and reaching recognition that we share a lot to, um, you know, Bud Light, you know, tearing apart um, its, its marketing and brand equity over, um, you know, whether they should send, send special beer, you know, labeled beer to particular influencers um, that may not may not match a lot of their customer base and, and engaging in in fraught social issues and getting no no value from either side for it. So I think we're already we're already at that point. I don't think you know generative AI is is going to be um, particularly you know part- make a particular difference one way or the other. Uh, I agree with everything Jeff said, but I also think that with the ability of generative AI to personalize messages. I think that there's a potential for, if it's the right candidate, if it's the right circumstance, to figure out behaviorally and psychologically what issue does the candidate that they're opposed to have that affects their lifestyle the most, like some common ground, one issue. And then there's the potential to kind of have a very long-term, subtle conversation uh, maybe over the course of a year, a year and a half to just kind of broach that subject that, hey, I'm not evil. I'm not the the bad guy that I'm being portrayed to be. I, I believe in this issue that you, that's important to you, that's important to your family and your community, and maybe just soften, not for this up, upcoming cycle, but maybe for two or three cycles down the road, just kind of establish that 
uh, messaging and just start the conversation um, and maybe be able to soften people's views over time. Yeah, I think Anthony raises a, a good point. You know, over time, we've, all, we've always seen that individual one-to-one -one contact is the most impactful way to persuade or to move somebody in a political campaign. You know, I remember being involved in the 72-hour task force back at the RNC in you know, 2002, 2004 cycles when, when we really started get, doing that door-to-door -door and you see the impact. And if um, generative AI lets you have some of those conversations, maybe even get a candidate, you know, a candidate bot that can communicate one-on-one -on -one with voters on their issues of concern, you might be able to break through some of the noise and have have some real conversations um, that that we've kind of moved away from because we have all these tools that let us uh, shout with shout with scale. Um, now maybe we can have communications with with scale. So maybe that's a, a hopeful note um, for us to consider. I, I really hope that's the case. <laughs> um, that that would be a much more positive uh, and productive use. I want to talk a little bit about uh, regulation in this space. Just last week, Representative Yvette Clark, a Democrat from New York, introduced legislation that would amend the federal campaign finance laws to require disclosure of AI-generated content in political ads. We also know that Senator Chuck Schumer is circulating a framework to regulate AI. Um, Jeff, you recently wrote that um, some of the regulatory solutions will almost certainly fall to Amara's law. Um, uh, which is from future, futurist Roy Amara's caution that we tend to overestimate the effect of a technology in the short run and underestimate the effect in the law in in the long run. Um, what do you, what do you think that lawmakers um, should actually be considering as they attempt to regulate, especially given the fast paced development of emerging technologies? Well, I'd ask them to act with some humility, um, but I, that's probably going to fall on deaf ears. Um, yeah, I think we've seen this play out in many of the technology regulation debates, which is, you know, unfortunately, a lot of these elected officials aren't experts in technology and how it works. Um, and, and the solutions that they provide are, you know, fighting the last war um, in many cases. They got mad at something that happened. The technology's already moved past it. Private sector actors are already addressing it. You know, so, you know, for example, with, with uh, Representative Clark's bill, you know, TikTok, for one, is already um, requiring you know, that you disclose the use of, of generative AI in, you know, on the platform you know, from their creators and, and advertisers. So that will certainly apply to the political actors. I think other platforms are going to have to come up with solutions. Um, I'm not a lawyer, but I, it seems crazy to me that any lawyer would sign off on a political ad using generative AI without there being a disclosure. Um, you know, there's already what pretty well-established uh, practices in advertising that if you're doing a dramatization or a reenactment or something like that, you, you sort of disclose it. And I don't see why this would, would be different. I think where the nuance comes in is what is the use for, right? You know, is the, you know are you generating B-roll for a, a for your candidate because it's a, a lot cheaper to have a video, the video or images um, done than get a professional camera crew and have them follow the candidate around and all this? Or are you, um, you know, try, you know, making your opponent uh, look like they tripped and fell to show, you know, you know, have tripped and fall, fallen to show that 
they, um, you know, that they are old and feeble and not capable of holding office. And then you get into even that more nuance of, well, if they are old and feeble, you know, and you, you know, does it, you know, are you just dramatizing what everyone thinks or is that unethical? And, and, you know, I'll leave that for the philosophers, but I, I think overall, as you look in regulation, you know, they have to understand the technology and what it is and what it isn't. You know, we're in that hype cycle right now of what AI is and how it's going to take all of our jobs. And we're going to have this big sort of curve, initial curve of adoption. And then people are going to be like, eh, it's really not any of these things people have said. It can't even make hands right. You know, they can't really do video well, et cetera. And people are going to kind of forget that the technology is going to keep getting better. And all of a sudden, it's going to be in all of our lives in ways that we probably can't even imagine. Yeah, I think as a preview to what could happen on the regulatory platform, we can just look back at the privacy data debates from a few years ago. Uh, it's been talked about, it's still talked about federally. I don't expect that anything substantive will happen. Um, right now, I think we lean on the EU version. And when it comes to AI, the EU is also crafting their own version of the AI law. So I think that will kind of be the, the guiding light. And here, I expect for some type of coalition or some type of framework amongst kind of the big tech companies to put something together, some framework or guidelines to not necessarily police themselves, but just, I think transparency is the big focus that needs to be uh, concentrated on. So just something, uh, regulations around, well, not regulations, guidelines around transparency, uh, the data models that go into it and maybe how it's being used on their platform. And that, that might be the best that we can ask for or expect. Uh, but again, I think to Jeff's point, that might be enough. Like there's not necessarily this, uh, catastrophic end game that's going to play out if we don't have laws and regulations surrounding this. Um, I think people in time kind of adapt to these technologies and learn how to adjust and recognize what's what. So, I mean, I think another part of this is, you know, these models are trained on human produced <laughs> content already. Right. So, um, I mean, that's something to also continue to keep in mind is that it's only as good as, you know, the large amount of data it is being trained on that has already been produced by human beings. Absolutely. You know, ChatGPT is only as good as the prompts you give it, uh, you know, in the, in the data it's trained on. But I think, you know, going back to your regulation question, you know, that's, that's going to be one of the, the central issues that the law, either through regulate, you know, legislation and regulation or through the courts is going to have to determine, you know, there's a lot of questions around data privacy. There's a lot of questions about um, intellectual property, uh, you know, and, and the use of it. You've already seen seen that uh, in Europe uh, with Italy, um, you know, temporarily banning ChatGPT um, until it better understood how they were complying with GDPR and some of these other um, privacy regulations, um, you know, it's going to be, um, and, and you're already starting to see the industry, you know, take, uh, take steps to address those concerns. You know, Microsoft announced that, you know, they're, they're working on a, a, a you know, a, a version of open, open AI's GPT technology that 
will allow companies to protect, you know, only have their model trained on their internal data. Um, you know, OpenAI has announced that they're not going to train, um, you know, their, their system on customer API data. Um, you're you're going to see more more along that front as as folks think about how to do these things uh, responsibly and and satisfy the the marketplace. Uh, you know, I think you're going to you're going to have much more flexibility among companies to to respond to the marketplace if you don't put in um, a regulatory framework that is not well you know, thought out and and truly understands how these these programs work. Well, I'm really glad that you brought up the data privacy issue. I have uh, one other question that I wanted to ask. Given the rise of the surveillance state, um, are you worried about how the surveillance state might intersect with AI? Um, and are there ways that AI could bolster government targeting and suppression of citizens? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a yeah, that's a big problem in the hands of of you know foreign foreign governments that that um, you know, don't believe in in freedom in the way that that our system is is based on. Um, you know, I worked on a lot of these issues when I was at the State Department. Uh, I was in very very different um, state of technology when I was there, uh, but you were still worried about how do you know, how do people in countries that suppress speech get access to. Um, you know, to, to have a voice to also um, know what's actually going on and what the truth is. Um, you know, so I think you're going to, and you've seen that debate play out domestically, particularly on facial recognition technologies, um, you know, and, and technology is a tool. It can be used for good. It can be used for bad. It's entirely dependent on whose hands they're in, it's in and, and what their intentions are. Um, so trying, you know, trying to restrict it on the basis of the tool um, is not always going to to be successful in in um, you know achieving the aims. Uh, you know, and you also see uh, organizations like you know Google has a has a, a great organization um, and other technology platforms that uh, work to try and free free folks to to speak in those kinds of um, countries and get access to information uh, despite the suppression from their government. Um, and and so I think you'll. You'll continue to see those tools develop alongside uh, some of these AI technologies as well. Well, Anthony Soa and Jeff Berkowitz, thank you so much for joining us on Politics is Everything. Um, really appreciate your insights into how where AI is at this moment and, and where it might go. And we're going to be following these trends. Thank you. It was, it was a pleasure being with you. Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Politics is Everything. Editing and production was done by me, Kara Ong Wigley. Our theme song is Let's Boogie by Chris Bays. You can learn more about the Center for Politics and its work to strengthen democracy on our website at centerforpolitics.org. You can also engage with us on social media at center number four politics. We welcome your suggestions and questions for future episodes. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time.